0: all right and we're back this is derek sabori we're here at the underswell podcast show talking about sustainability talking about great solutions for you in your life maybe you're an expert maybe you're not maybe you're just starting out on your journey Um, but no matter what sustainability is a journey for all of us and uh, there's still a lot to learn and i'm here with uh, somebody who i think has a lot to offer us and a lot to teach us he's an educator um, founder of living earth systems eddie garcia and um, we're here with some friends as well. I'm here with Adam Fisher, and Sam is here as well. So we've got a table of four. We're outside at the Ecology Center, and uh, it's a beautiful day. you hear some birds, you hear some leaves rustling. But Adam introduced me to Eddie, and um, Eddie, I, didn't, I, didn't, I hadn't heard about you, you know? So I'm excited to learn more and, and share with the audience here, because um, the more I started learning about what you're doing at Living Earth Systems, the way you're thinking, um, and some of the solutions that you're coming up with, um, I'm fascinated by. So maybe in a nutshell, tell us, uh, tell us who you are, what you do, and um, let's start with that. Let's
1: start with okay. that. Okay, well, I'm Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> and what I do basically is I'm trying to empower people right now with solutions. Uh, I've been fortunate to grow up in a pretty pristine environment in Hawaii, and I've been able to have nature sort of as my mentor and teacher. Mm. And some really simple solutions uh, have been out there, and through observation and patience, and taking the time to work close to nature, I feel like I have a few answers that can empower people in real simple solutions to become a little bit more sustainable.
0: Okay. How long have you been on this journey? When did your, uh, when did this start for you?
1: Oh God, it started really early, probably when I was like three or four years old. Um, one of the first books I remember reading is called The One Straw Revolution. Mm. It's almost like a cult book in the 70s, an old Japanese farmer who changed the uh, wheat industry by letting people know that you could lay it down and let the worms and the creatures do a lot of the work for you and repair the land. And he showed that through doing that, he could make the soil a lot more productive with less work and just really good stuff. So um, I've started from a really early age. I didn't really go to school like everyone else. I kind of quit school, fourth grade, fifth grade, didn't make it past there. Mm. I was more interested in surfing and yep. fishing and hunting and growing food and living close to nature. So for me, that's been sort of my role model.
0: Yeah, is, is being outdoors and the outdoors. The and, outdoors,
1: and surfing, fishing, kite surfing, uh, and you're, you're able to do that professionally as well, right? So you're Yeah, I've, I'd, well, I've, I've been able to do it semi-professionally. I've Kay. had sponsors, and I've been paid to go on some trips and such. And yeah, I've been pretty lucky to be involved in the surf industry. Yeah. Um, and realizing, like in the surf industry, we kind of almost have a dirty habit. Yeah. Every surfboard we've ever ridden is still on the planet somewhere. Yeah. So the idea of being able to clean up our mess and inspire other people that we can have a cleaner habit with what we love to do, mm-hmm. as surfers I feel we should be ambassadors of stewardship. Yeah, We get to see the most beautiful things on the planet in so many ways, so yeah. I think it's really important that we kind of take on that role of responsibility to inspire others to take care.
0: Yeah, we're a privileged few, we I are. would say, right? right. So. Yeah. Um, So you were inspired early on, but but when did, I mean, when did it become sort of uh, maybe a business for you? When did it become official and when did you know that you wanted to start teaching this? And and, uh, was there a discovery or?
1: So traveling to some of the third world countries I've been to, um, I would show up for an event and I would a lot of the times not make it to the event because I would be in the back village with the kids saying hey wow you have tilapia in your stream or wow we could set you up an aquaponic system and you guys could start making some money mm. or I would try to leave old ukuleles and surfboards with them and come back and see what they did with it years so, years later. So I was pretty inspired by people um, that I've seen at a lot of different places and I realized that because I live so close to nature that I had a few answers for people Okay. Um, and then it, it started to dawn on me that, oh, I could live in this beautiful, perfect valley on this outer island and never see anybody. But a lot of that knowledge that I've acquired through the years would kind of just be wasted. Yeah. So I was invited from the small island of Molokai to Maui to do an ag fair one year. And we weren't really even selling anything. We showed up with some worms in an aquaponic system and we had a line of you know over three, 400 people that just wanted to see what we were doing. They just wanted they to were... see how worms could chew cardboard into dirt and that we could grow giant vegetables with yeah. it. They were amazed. And for me it was like, wow, that's incredible. They're amazed so people want to see this so that people, was your spark that was your, that, your i think that moment. was one of them i think people coming down to the valley that i lived in and saying wow yeah this is paradise you can grow anything here i think i wanted to show people that you could grow anything even in a parking lot mm. you could you could with the day and age we live in with technology we have the ability to um you know go take steps that are much further than
0: yeah let me take it back a few steps so for those that don't know tell us about aquaponics
1: Aquaponics is uh, a way to grow food without using soil. It uses 2% of the water of conventional farming. It's very similar to what's called hydroponics. Hydroponics is water flowing from a reservoir through a tube or a tray to a plant that hangs in an inert medium with the roots suspended that take up the nutrients and grow the plant. Aquaponics um, is Fish and living creatures live inside the water that the plants get their nutrients from, like in nature, and they're able to cycle their nitrogen and potassium and phosphorus straight from the fish waste. Okay. The plants that grow off of the water filter the water for the fish. So it's a complete circle, yep. um, a very sustainable way to grow food, and you're producing fish and you're producing vegetables and off of
0: it. Is this something you can do at home? Are most people able
1: to do this at home? Uh, this is something
0: you can do at home really easy. Because you need a, a a barrel though, right? Are they often these are in big barrels. Some or? T-
1: they're as small as a tiny 10-gallon fish tank mm-hmm. with a board sitting on top, and you could grow all the herbs for your kitchen in it. You're kidding. So you could do something really simple. Uh, on our website, we try to show people different examples of something that's Really, really simple. And then yep. we do them really complex as well. We do large swimming pools and people's estates that uh, don't want to have chlorine poisoning the bees and the birds yeah. and all the raccoons that come to drink in it.
0: So, pools. So, you could redo your pool, let's say. So, in a we turn swimming
1: way. pools into basically swimmable. Fish ponds, watering holes, watering holes. That's amazing. That's with, amazing. Uh, instead of it going through a filter with chlorine and chemicals, yep. it's actually filtering through plants. It's growing fish and several other creatures that all have symbiotic relationships, like they would in a healthy stream yep. or a healthy lake. We're recreating that with a little bit of added technology, solar panels and pumps. And so, so um, I saw
0: something on your Instagram page, and I saw you see the fish swimming in there. So. Do you have to be okay with swimming with fish in
1: your natural water? Well, some some of the pools, we put the fish in the pool, yeah, and some of the pools, we don't put fish in them. Some people just want to have a perfectly clean pool, yeah, and they want to have some plants on the side of it and just eliminate their chlorine. That's totally doable. Okay, But a lot of people say, hey, I want to take that water, and now I want to water all the plants in my yard, yeah, and I want to water my garden. Why not have a few fish in it so you're providing nutrient for your plants, and then you're not Buying Miracle Grow or any of these synthetic fertilizers that most people are using on their landscape.
0: So when people go to your website to Living Earth Systems, so is this a solution that you provide? Are you guys are you a consultant service?
1: We do a little bit of everything. We have some free online plans for mm-hmm. people to build their own aquaponic system. We have some designs that are for sale. We offer courses in uh, building soil and building aquaponics and how to turn your pool into a chlorine-free environment. Okay. Uh, so there's several different ways you can work with us. We also do uh, consultation as well as designs and Got building. It. Okay.
0: Um, so I want to go back to that that idea of um, aquaponics. And you said small scale to larger scale, but I mean, that's one thing we hear a lot, um, just from the people that I talk with, they get frustrated saying, well, one, maybe I live in an apartment. And especially as soon as you start talking about composting or Vermipost, well, I live in an apartment, I don't have any space to do it. And so I'll turn them on to like maybe a bakashi bucket or different systems. So there are solutions though, for people of almost any scale.
1: Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's several uh, small systems that I have that run in tiny apartments. And they're as simple as a 30 gallon aquarium that's very aesthetic for the house with mm-hmm. some beautiful things fish in it and on top of it there's 50 herbs growing wow. so they have basil stevia green onions uh, all sorts of different things can grow on it including vegetables as well or greens and salad greens okay so in this day and age it's as simple as an aquarium with a special top on it that you could grow For some people, probably, I don't know, 20% of their food just on a really small aquarium.
0: What about for people who say, I just nothing grows for me, everything dies, I can't do
1: it? So that whole theory, a lot of people tell me, you have a green thumb. Yeah. Everybody has a green thumb. It's called patience and consistency. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. As with life. I think everything in life, right? Yeah, you have to take the time and the patience and observe it and try to learn from your observations. But if you have the consistency of watering it, when it needs to be watered or the patients to um, watch what's going on, then you're gonna have a green thumb. Okay. The beauty about an aquaponic system, it helps you have a green thumb a little easier because you don't have to water it. It's a simple pump inside that circulates the water from the fish to the plants. Yeah. Boom, set it up, it kind of takes care of itself. But no things are without maintenance. You yeah. still have to pull plants out and replant plants after you eat them so there's some things that come with it but what I find is it opens up the door for a relationship to nature the very first steps Mm. of creating a path to your understanding of nature and to having that relationship
0: okay and i think that's really important yeah no kidding and uh listening to you know some of your talks and the podcast that you've done in the past i mean i was just really inspired and uh, one of the reasons i got into sustainability and why my light bulb went off was really for my kids i just wanted to be able to talk to my kids about that i wanted to teach them i wanted us to go out in the yard and get our hands dirty and admittedly we've we've sort of fallen off of our gardening skills we've got this empty garden box and um, so I've got a couple questions here. We've got an empty garden box. We killed off our lawn for drought-tolerant gardening in our um, backyard here in Southern California. But it's feeling like our backyard is just sort of dead, dead and dry. And listening to you, I hear about building soil and and you really sparked this um, eagerness in me to get back out there and do something and bring it back to life. So is that something that, that you Ex, you know, um, would, could provide expertise in. Is that what, would I go yeah. to your website for that
1: as well? Yes, for sure. We actually teach people how to build a square yard of soil mm-hmm. out of nothing but sand, cardboard, and food scraps. That's an- All things I've got in my house. All things you have at your house. Yeah. Find a healthy tree somewhere from in the neighborhood, and you can collect. Uh, bacteria and such that help in the process, and we walk you through that. Okay. We are uh, we're very within six months, you'll have a square yard of soil that you built that wasn't on this planet. That's amazing. Excuse me, that you um create. Yeah. So uh, that's really awesome. That empowers people. I do have to warn you of one thing: if you get an aquaponic system that starts with an aquarium for your kids, mm-hmm. prepare for them to be farmers. It's a gateway drug. <laughs> it is. It's which, a gateway drug. Which may not be such a bad thing. Right? No, it's not yeah. a bad thing at yeah. all. But I'm just giving you a. Fair warning once you get their interest as kids you they pull their first carrot out of the ground and they're hooked yeah they're uh, they become ambassadors of like the way it's supposed to be right and mm-hmm. so important I think too for now
0: how we live for so many of us that live in urban settings you know and we, it's, we go to the market and maybe the closest we get to the farm is a farmers market you know but to grow your own food is something really really special you know that I think is, is a great thing to pass on to, to our children what um, what do you call this whole idea you know if you had to put a label I mean there's is this permaculture
1: no, so a lot of people um, Permaculture is a great thing On this planet And it's got a lot of Positive Positive movements mm-hmm. But it's one group's version of what it can be okay. and nature is so multifaceted I think that we need to be more holistic than just one approach mm. so I like the idea of a day and age where permaculture even needs to evolve okay we need to start blending nature and technology together to walk to the future and to have something that's sustainable for our children so we need to build on permaculture can you tell us uh, about... can,
0: can, sorry to interrupt but can you tell us what what how do we define permaculture what is what is permaculture for our listeners that may not
1: um, so it's an interesting thing because I myself have never taken a permaculture class yeah. um, Sam, never, Sam here is a uh, actually certified permaculturist could she button could, uh, could she say something in the conversation about
0: it no <laughs> Sam's going, nope, nope, all right. so, so <laughs>
1: she doesn't want to But so the idea of uh, permanent culture permaculture the best definition I could give it is a sustainable, permanent culture. By putting trees in instead of plants that you pull in and out, by establishing mycorrhizal culture deep underground that's been interrupted, that's there for thousands of years, Mm. um, through creating a system that's sustainable and holistic and takes care of itself. And I'm not sure that permaculture completely covers that yet, but it's a great first step. And I feel like we need to expand on that. We hear the term regenerative a lot lately, regenerative farming, to regenerate an area and make it better than what we started. I think that's how we need to think. Mm. What I have going is I sort of... It it is what our website sounds like. It's a living earth system. It's a system that's based on symbiotic relationships that are found all around us. And it's just about taking the time to observe them, identify them, and how do we make them work for us? And how do we work for them? That's really important, this give and take relationship. And so a living earth system to me... um, is something that incorporates quite a bit of biodiversity that's able to adjust itself if it has a crash or a fall. One of the flaws with uh, hydroponic systems or a lot of the aquaponic systems that are out there they mimic a hydroponic system which is based on very little biodiversity a system that I build has so much biodiversity in it that mm. if it crashes, it fixes itself. Really? For instance, there's shrimp in there that shed their skin that provide calcium for the system when the microbes eat their shells. So it's like trying to look at what we see in nature and really, again, use it as our mentor and take some of these examples and put them to work for us. Yeah. So that's a long-winded answer to it, but...
0: No, it's good. Uh, but it, it can almost feel overwhelming, right, for the, I mean, and you said you didn't go to school, but yet it's like, you seem to have so much knowledge. What drives you and where did you, I mean, what what drove you to, to where you're at now to learn all this? Was it just that true love of nature and wanting to just get involved and understand it? What drove
1: me honestly was surfing. They told me that I probably had to get a job and that I couldn't eat surfing. Mm. And I wanted to say, no, I probably could eat surfing in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So even if I just surfed all day and I made an incredible vegetable garden, then not only could I eat, I could sell some of those vegetables and I could buy my next board. Okay. So like necessity to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. Um, also seeing uh, the state of people in general Mm -hmm. uh, not taking real good care of themselves Uh, I I felt that the more and the closer I lived to nature the stronger I was the more vibrant I was Mm -hmm. um, the better ability as an athlete I had to take care of myself yeah Um, and the better my yard and what I had around me that was taking care of me the better I took care of it the more aesthetic it was and the work it worked better for me that way
0: yeah so and it just creates a great energy, though, too, when you walk out to to, to your yard and it's beautiful and it's thriving, And there's a definitely a, a positive energy that you're getting from that.
1: Right. And so to have people come to see that, I think what really motivated me was watching how disconnected people are from nature. Yeah. They don't realize there's answers. All they focus on is the doom and the gloom. Yeah. And when they walk through somewhere beautiful and they see an example, they're like, wow, I can do this. It's not really that hard. And so I like to try to make it into cooking for people. I like to try to... Uh, identify, touch, taste, smell and let people understand by getting their hands in it how they can uh, identify with it and build that relationship to nature. Once they've started that they're on their own path and uh, most people that I've been able to turn on even just a slight bit to what soil should smell like I talked to them five years later and they're almost an expert and they're totally living that life and sharing it with all of the people around them. Wow, so
0: So do you think um, can it be frustrating though for people who do live in like hyper urban environments and just feel like they're not going somewhere, or if their aquaponic system, if they just can't get it and it dies, is there, is it for everybody? You know, do you really believe it is, or can you? Is it easy to get turned off if you're living in an apartment, if you're living in New York, or you're living in downtown Anaheim or somewhere where you're not? truly involved you know surrounded by a beautiful
1: environment it is easy to get out of control and it is easy to pick it up and put it down and if you're not ready to change your life yeah. and you're not ready to have that journey to nature and build that relationship then I tell people don't do it you got so it you got it so I like to start them out with something really small okay. it might be as simple as bringing your own coffee cup to the coffee shop yeah, yeah. and to start a habit to yeah. start something out positive that can make change
0: that's a great point I want to ask you this in your opinion then so what is what you're doing right now what you're offering sort of what level is that for people on their sustainability journey? Because you're right, level one is like bring your own reusable bag to the market, right? Bring your cup, stop, stop using a straw, all these little things, and then we start inching away. So how far are you on the spectrometer, if you will, of sustainable living? I would almost
1: say I'm full pendulum swing. Full pendulum swing. Meaning both sides of the yard. Okay. I, I okay. build large farms, yeah. and I help develop situations that yep. are huge projects that make huge change. Mm-hmm. And I talk to people every day about stop sucking stop using straws yeah two million straws a day in san diego if you could imagine that every day no yeah so uh, so stop sucking right that's one thing that's what we're doing with the plastic tides and trying to get that idea out there yeah is that little things we do can make gigantic impacts yeah and something as simple as if there's two million straws a day, how many coffee cups there are? How many styrofoam cups are there out there? And how much do we waste because we live in this disposable world? Yeah. So I think that idea of trying to let people know that it doesn't have to be such a disposable world and little small actions can make huge differences but also, like, I try to let people know hey, don't take this on if you don't have the time to do it, to give it the maintenance that it needs. Try something smaller. Yeah. And so that's the best answer I have for that personally.
0: Okay. Would you say, and I think I know the answer to this, I think you've made it pretty clear, but I'm going to ask anyway, but what is your sort of, um, what's your North Star in terms of, you know, being better for the planet, being a better person? If you had to kind of put a point, uh, you know, point an arrow to what you are really pushing for in this world, what would you say it is?
1: I would say try to be conscious of your impact. Mm. Try to be conscious of the footstep you leave behind you and try to look a little closer, try to use that power of observation to see, I'm using this. What does it take to create this? What does it take to get this here to me? Where's this gonna wind up when I'm done using it? There's a series of questions you can ask yourself and just about everything in your life, you can look at it and you can go, okay, uh, I don't want to be labeled as fanatic, but it's probably all right if I bring my own coffee cup. It can make a difference. Yeah, so how do we find that balance of being fitting in our everyday life driving to work going to get some coffee or all the things that we love to do? Yep. we need to trade. We need to get rid of some of that convenience that we're so used to and kind of spoiled by so we can give up some of that and we can make positive change And that's how I kind of feel about that. So I think that my guiding North Star would be, try to be conscious of your impact Mm. and try to look at it on different levels, what you're doing.
0: Do you think we're um, getting to a good place? Are we in a good place as far as uh, society goes? Are we heading in the right direction?
1: Is there hope? How do you feel? Are you optimistic? I am very optimistic and personally, like coming here, one of the reasons we decided to do some of what we do in California is there's a lot of brilliant people here. And they just not have, they have not been shown the answers and they're smart enough to get it and they're starving for it because people haven't really put the answers out there so much. So to be in an environment where people are so ready for change and to be able to offer solutions, I have awesome, great hope for people. I think people are adherently good and they want to change, but if you don't give them an option, they don't know any better. So we uh, we want to, I feel like I feel super stoked to be in empowering people with some answers.
0: Yeah. Well it's clear that you've got a passion for teaching, um, what's, uh, what's the biggest thrill you get from teaching people the, the things that you know?
1: Um, what is the biggest thrill I get from teaching people the things I know? Well the only thing I know is that I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't know everything? Uh, yeah, That's how I yeah, always start every class. The, so I,
1: I try to figure out is that like, any, I don't really draw conclusions. I'm trying to work on it, it's a work in progress, mm-hmm. but I like the idea of inspiring people to start their own work of progress. Yeah. Every one of us has to work on ourselves individually differently. you know. So for me to see that going on, uh, it's really cool to just be in a place where I can share with people. Yeah. Uh, only going to the fourth grade and not really going to school, now I'm able to share with doctors and lawyers and professors and I'm able to shed some light for them and that's very empowering feeling for me, Yeah, personally.
0: So you're getting your education in a different way?
1: Yeah, I've, I'm getting my education in a different way. And I'm also, through taking a different path of education, I'm also able to educate others. Yeah. Um, and so that word, education, just kind of fell upon me because I took a different path from everyone. For most people Mm -hmm. and that path now in this day and age is actually useful to help other people to that I, I like to call it the journey home we all came from this earth and everything that's on this planet came from this planet or somewhere out in the cosmos yeah but in this bubble we're all here together so that idea of us like all doing this together is really cool for me so I get to play a part in it and that's really cool for me
0: cool And what are some of the other things uh, that you're involved in? I mean, I'm sure besides Living Earth Systems, I know you do some work with the Stop Sucking campaign. Or with Sustainable Surf, is that right? I mean, are Yeah, you... Sustainable
1: Surf, they're a great company. They're about trying to promote sustainability within the surf industry. Mm-hmm. Like I talked about before, um, they wouldn't like the word uh, a dirty habit. Um, <laughs> because what we do is clean and beautiful and pure. But the products that we use have been made by an old school standard. And so what we're trying to promote is eco boards. We're trying to promote boards that are made out of more sustainable materials. Yeah. Like entropy resin, for instance, Adamson sitting at the table here with us. A great ambassador of stewardship and making change in the industry. Uh, As surfers, there's been this whole uh, hypocrisy out there that, oh, the board doesn't flex if it's made out of EPS. Oh, it has too much of a vibration if it's made out of a bioresin. Ooh, Boloney. You know, yeah. it's absolute... Uh, one guy listens to what another guy says. Most guys don't even know what a vibration difference is on the board. Right. But they're just repeating like a parrot what someone else said. Yeah. The bottom line is if the board were a little more yellow, which they're not now, they've completely... They've really got it wired now. Yeah. And we can make boards that will not necessarily last forever. My project in particular with Sustainable Surf and with Entropy and with all these other guys is I've created a system through worms that I've been experimenting with. They're a larval of a particular beetle, and they actually have the ability, excuse me, the ability to um, bring styrofoam, EPS, expanded polystyrene, yep. full circle back into organic material.
0: So that was amazing. So that was one of the first draws when Adam told me that. I'm like, what? You know, I sort of step back. So tell us about this. So you're, the, the worms that you've, you're working with that you found, I mean, they're eating the styrofoam.
1: They're literally eating the styrofoam and what they're pooping out is an organic compound okay they basically have a bacteria that lives in their gut just like we have a, a intestinal bacteria that helps us digest our food yep. and it Allows them to digest the petroleum material back into an organic material.
0: And I've also heard, I mean, there are worms that will eat plastic. I mean, there are other, and there's microbes that are eating plastic, right? So this is. You got it. Yeah, this is happening.
1: You got it. Oil is found on this planet because it was dinosaurs and trees and Mm -hmm. other things that got condensed back down into oil. So when we think of it, we think of it as this foreign substance that's not able to come full circle. Baloney, it's able to come full circle. When you take it down to its
0: its bare element, right? Right back down to its bare element, to its molecular structure.
1: Um, So um, animals have developed these bacteria because styrene is found in nature. It's found in apples, oranges, peaches. Ah. Um, That's why it's there within this petroleum product. So being able to actually break it down and bring it full circle. And I need to clarify that when we talk about into an organic compound in full circle, that means it's tested and it has zero toxic isotopes in it. The worms have the ability to eat it and use it as an energy source Okay. so they don't gain anything that's toxic from it. There's no toxic material left when the process is done.
0: So does that mean the soil the left the remaining uh, compost or worm uh- See, whatever what, what would we'll, be we'll call it casting casting we'll you. call it the Those are, what's
1: what's left what's over left. after they've yes. chewed it in. so many people have asked me do they just chew it into a smaller piece of styrofoam right no they don't they digest it they digest it and it comes out a completely bioremediated end product
0: is that a safe soil well some people it's, might say hey is that is that safe is it, it fine
1: well so it's interesting uh i i don't i feed fish In my farms, food that I grow for them because I want to make sure in the whole fishing industry, if you feed them dog food, you're eating dog food. If I'm feeding my vegetables styrofoam, technically you could be eating styrofoam. So I'm staying away from growing food with it right now. I don't want to let the enthusiasm get ahead of the facts. So the way we're utilizing it is we're actually growing bamboo, flax, and trees that will sequester carbon. Uh. We're keeping it in a contained area and we're not allowing it back into the open environment until... 30 years of testing has gone on, because mm. who knows? Sure. But our preliminary tests do show us that it is 100% organic material. But just to be safe, we're not in the food industry yet. But the funny part is when it's been tested, it's extremely nutrient-rich. Really? It does have the ability to grow super nutrient-rich food. And the idea that we've been growing most of our food for our lifetimes out of recycled bomb material from World War One and World War 2 People don't realize that. Explain, Dow, that. Explain Dow that, Dow Chemical Company, yeah. they actually bought and recycled all the old bombs to make chemical fertilizer. Amazing. In the early 1900s, Nobel realized that ammonium nitrate mimicked nitrogen in plants. So then they were able to create other chemicals that n- mimic potassium and phosphorus in plants. And thus, most of our food that we've grown for our lives has been made out of raw materials. So the idea of growing food out of recycled surfboards doesn't sound half bad. Jeez, yeah, no kidding, progress. We're making progress we're at that point. We're <laughs> making progress at that point. But I think most people are unaware of that. And here's the funny part is you can actually grow really good food with chemicals, but you cannot grow soil. And the biggest problem we have on this planet that I, th- I don't think people are aware of, there's a book I want to put out there for everyone, and it's called uh, Dirt, okay. The Erosion of Civilizations by uh, Michael Montgomery or David Montgomery? David Montgomery. David Montgomery. Okay. And it talks from the times of the Fertile Crescent how civilization as civilization has fallen over bad agricultural practices mm. and how on this planet we are down to 2% of the topsoil. Wow. Doesn't that sound crazy? We see giant forests. We see areas. We are at 2% of the topsoil on the planet. So we really need to start building topsoil. That's what's going to suck the carbon out of the air for greenhouse emissions. And describe topsoil for for us. Topsoil, the first six inches of the surface of the ground. Where we plant most of our... Where we plant most of our fruits and trees and vegetables. And what that's built up is thousands of years of mycorrhizal, bacterial cultures, several different types of earthworms and other creatures tunneling like Swiss cheese way down deep into the earth, bringing minerals up that they use in their gizzards, mixing it with leaf material and humus from trees, bringing that deep down into the ground, and deteriorating the, the rock into soil. So when we talk about uh, what's here in California a lot, they call it decomposed granite. Yeah, DG. DG, one of the most awesome soils on the planet. All it needs is a little organic material.
0: So uh, rewind that real quick. So you're calling DG a soil?
1: I'm calling DG a soil maker. I always call it a concrete concrete
0: substitute. That's right. So, (laughs)
1: So one of the things that we did in Fallbrook is there is a decomposed granite parking lot that okay. we turned into a paradise you're kidding we turned a parking light into a paradise the opposite of the old bob dylan song so basically we went into this decomposed granite i brought about a hundred pounds of worms in i brought in some mycorrhizal culture I brought in a little bit of horse manure, and then I did a tree trim job on the two-acre property. Dropped it all, along with the worms and all the cultures, on top of the decomposed granite, and let the creatures mix it up like Swiss cheese. Added a little bit of moisture, planted some strategically planted plants that have deep root systems that are able to mine minerals from deep into their leaf material. Chop and drop. Allow all the creatures to eat it into six inches of nutrient-rich, dense soil, which we have grown thousands and thousands of pounds of food in a year off of this parking lot. Wow! So, like, like this right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. We don't here. have a picture, but we're sitting we're in sitting kind here of here a on decomposed a, granite a DG space. Lot, yeah. yeah, You can hear it under our feet. Right. So, is that what
0: you mean by building soil? Then, I mean, right? Is- uh, so,
1: I, I soil is basically a certain percentage of water, air, rock or mineral material and organic material, and that's what soil is basically. So how do we build that? Rock gets decomposed through um, erosion as well as creatures that break it down and fungi and different deals that break it down. Once it's broken down, it gets mixed with organic material. That is soil. Mm. Rock material or mineral material mixed with air, water and organic material and microbes. That's Hmm. living soil. So to define what soil is and how we can create it, we could basically take five, five gallon buckets of sand, all of your cardboard from your house and your kitchen scraps for two months. And when the worms are done chewing it into soil, you could grow a garden that'll feed you for the next year out of that square yard of soil. So why is all this stuff winding up in the dump? Why, you know what I mean? So our idea is to give people options to divert some of the stuff from the dump But not only divert it from the dump, but to look at it as gold, to look at it as an asset, something that they can actually grow their future with. And not only that, they can grow their children's relationship to their future and to the land with it as well, by the examples they set.
0: So even as you kind of go through and we have this conversation, you talk about these things, but I mean, these are are solutions that are there. And this is feeling like a solutions conversation and not like you said, not, not like a doom and gloom thing. And I think it feels like there are, there are opportunities for us to get involved in different ways kind of at whatever point you're at in your life and however you're living,
1: right? I, I totally agree with that. And yeah. It can be something as simple as a planter on your porch that you pay attention to what's in it and throw a handful of earthworms in it and you mm-hmm. watch that tree every morning and you remember to water it. You've developed this relationship. There's a story uh, called The Little Prince And it's about developing a relationship with a rose and a planet. That's an interesting story. But (laughs) we, as humans, we kind of need to be the little prince. We need to nurture what's around us. And when you, something like this, they planted this apple tree from a little seedling, and now it's providing shade and comfort and beauty around us. I think people get so caught up in this modern world that they sort of lose sight of that. And I think that to, to allow that, to be within their sights again, it takes people taking the path on and inspiring and creating these things so that they realize that it's doable.
0: Yeah. So uh, where do you see these these solutions, these ideas? The mealworms eating styrofoam, the clean swimming pools, um, building soil. Where do you see all this going? What what's sort of the uh, the hope for you with with what you're doing right now?
1: I think that. Um well the mealworms in particular we're working with the surf industry right now because the surf industry has so much power and the clothing industry mm-hmm. to reach people. People in Iowa wear surf clothes. Yeah. So if a surfer is saying, Hey, my surfboard's getting eaten by these worms, maybe you guys should think about doing that in your dump. Yeah. Then people might like catch on. So the idea of using what we do in the cool factor and our roles as ambassadors of stewardship to inspire people to, hey, stop using a straw. Think about it before you get a styrofoam cup. You know, let's look at what's going on. I think that's my goal for it, personally. I think the idea of creating education centers all over, creating places like here at the Ecology Center where people can come in. I think they're doing a great thing. People can come in and get hands on. A lot of kids have never pulled an apple off a tree. right? So right. to come in and pull an apple off the tree or pull a carrot out of the ground, it's an amazing feeling. And then to go cook it in the wood fire uh,
0: oven and build a pizza with it, it's,
1: right. you know, no, no better yeah. thing. Yeah, I would like to see some of what we're doing getting more into schools, okay, um, and m- quite a bit more education, and through different educators and myself, trying to putting it out there for people yeah. and letting people know that the path exists.
0: Okay, but maybe there's some uh, large scale solutions here though that exist for for us as a society though especially some of this, maybe the, the styrofoam problem.
1: Yeah, I think for us launching it with the surf industry, our, our end goal is the municipal industry. Yeah. We realize that oh, styrofoam, for instance, makes uh, 0.1% of the amount of uh, material in the dump but takes up 30% of the volume of the average dump.
0: And that's why it's such a problem, right? You can't such transport it. Nobody wants to transport impacts. it. Yeah, yeah. In order
1: to wash styrofoam that has been contaminated with any oil or food, it's ridiculous. It's like $3,000 a ton to wash it, Jeez. which makes it a recycling deficit. Yeah. So it's no longer useful. So through working with companies like Marco Foam and Entropy Resin and all these big players in the surfboard industry, the idea of them saying, hey, look, let's take the foam that we can recycle and let's turn it into blocks and build shelters for the homeless or build disaster relief houses or whatever we can do with what we can recycle. Let's take what we can't recycle and let's turn it into trees on the medium or let's turn it into Mm -hmm. carbon sequestration or let's turn it into flax and bamboo and build new surfboards out of it with better materials. The idea of launching it to the larger industry, I think that's what we want to see. Cool. We want to see that other people take it on, and bigger minds and greater people than myself. Yeah. I think the it's a ball a snowball that needs to roll down the hill, and I think it won't really take on maybe for generations past us with people who really see that it's not a way; it's the only way. Right. You know?
0: Well, and uh, that idea of looking forward to new generations, right? What does the saying go? You know that uh, you plant your tree now, but it's your future generations that that are going to be the, that enjoy the shade of that of that tree later on, right? So. Right. Um, how about this one too? So in my compost in my backyard, you mentioned textiles. So do you have any solutions for textiles? I did do this once an experiment. We had leftover draw cords from one of our production runs. They got cut too short. So i all these little, it's just cotton draw cord. It was undyed. It was unbleached. And um, I simply put them in, in my
1: compost um, bin and they were gone and days so it's really funny one of the things I wanted to bring up and one of the things that we like to share with people is the clothing industry the fashion industry is the second largest polluter on the planet only to coal yeah so you should be thinking about buying organic clothes you should be thinking about what materials are in your clothes you should be trying to buy things without rayon or plastics or or maybe not rayon in particular I think that one may be from a banana but um, the process of creating it is kind of has a lot of issues yeah don't quote me on that one, but uh, <laughs> my point is, is that clothing, our fashion, it's a dirty industry, even way dirtier than surfboards, yeah, you know what it I mean? Really, it is. So do we have to trade fashion for our planet? No, we can like look for sustainable solutions. Let's look for, uh, I'm wearing a shirt that's out of organic cotton. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to make sure that what we do supports a cleaner industry and yes cotton organic cotton clothes i can turn them into soil in a week yeah i've grown lots of food with old clothes really i've been to places like in indo and different places in southeastern asia where i've seen piles of clothes 200 feet tall that take two acres, it's nothing but clothes. They let the people pick through them to get clothes, but that whole pile is still there, it's mildewed. And you can see the cotton stuff disappears out of it.
0: Yeah, it breaks down. Nature
1: breaks it down all of the plastic products and I don't want to say the names of them because I'm not even sure what all the names of the different materials are that they're using now.
0: Polyester, Polyester, nylon. nylon most poly-propylene,
1: of is not name. breaking down. Yeah. And I think people don't realize what a detriment every old shirt they get rid of or pair of pants or shoes, just how much is put into that. Yeah. So I would like to put the word out to people to try to be a little more conscious with what your fashion statement is. Let's yeah. try to make eco fashion statements just like we're trying to do with boards or anything else. Yeah. And that's another reason I feel like the surfboard industry has a little power that way because our our industry is very much dominated by the clothing industry. Most people who can't surf still wear a surf shirt. Right. So how do we maybe influence the surf industry to start using organic cotton or not cotton or what flax or bamboo or whatever are gonna be the most sustainable sources for the future. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to do quite a bit more research on that and what I myself would like to see for ourselves and our company as well as other companies is funding put into more research and development because that's how we find the answers. Giving minds who are In that direction and want to push for that fund these people allow them to find these solutions so they can put it out there to other people
0: yeah so those are some those are some good uh, almost parting words I say Do you have any other advice maybe for listeners you know what what would you what do you want to leave listeners with after hearing what they've heard from you today
1: um that I would think I would go back right to that uh, old thing you have a green thumb you just find it take the time and the patience to find your green thumb yeah Observe, listen, share, don't be afraid. Um, get off the doom and the gloom and look for the solutions because mm-hmm. we can all do that and feel free to reach out to us we will talk to any of you anytime and we'll share whatever we can with you
0: so great and everybody can find you at livingearthsystems.com correct and you've got um, some great content on your Instagram page Facebook as well I'm sure are You guys right. doing? are you doing in person workshops or anything we do in
1: person workshops, we do blogs we do quite a bit of different things I yeah. would say just keep track of us on our Instagram which is livingearthsystems it's also maui new earth okay Um, and check us out at our website and just see what we're doing. We're working with Entropy Resins right now, Firewire Surfboards, Marco Foam, uh, Enjoy Hand Sustainable Surf has been great. They're working as a fiscal sponsor for us potentially. So if people, companies that would want to give money to something if they want to give it through a fiscal sponsor and get a tax deduction and help promote that whole idea of worms eating styrofoam out of our dumps Mm. and taking care of some of that support us and support the other people who are doing the same thing
0: yeah well i'm fascinated by all the work you're doing i'm really inspired too and i want to say thank you i want to i want to say thanks to adam and entropy residents for setting this up and connecting us because it's been really um I don't know, I'm inspired and just listening. I just feel like there's a wealth of knowledge that's there that you've got ready for us to learn. So thank you for sharing it with us today. Thanks for sharing it with the audience. So you guys, be sure to check out uh, Eddie and uh, Living Earth Systems. Eddie, thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, we'll be sure to follow up with you on all the great things you're doing.
1: Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate, uh, happy to be here. Thank you guys for listening. Aloha. Aloha.